Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Praise God. He is the victory. Amen. I hope you have your Bibles today. Would you join me in Matthew chapter number 28? Matthew chapter 28. I, I want to preach uh, one of my favorite outlines on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've entitled the sermon today, Remembering the Resurrection. While you're finding your place, uh, I heard a story this week I wanted to share with you about a Sunday school teacher who wanted to teach her Sunday school class a very important lesson. She took three mason jars and she put earthworms in all three jars. And then she took alcohol and she poured alcohol in the first jar. And then she put cigarette smoke in the second jar. And then she put sugar in the third jar. All of the earthworms in every jar died. She sat it before the class and she said, Class, what can we learn from this lesson of the jars and worms? Little Johnny raised his hand vigorously and said, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. She said, what is it, Johnny? Johnny said, if you drink a lot, smoke a lot, and eat a lot of candy, you won't get worms. (laughs) Johnny missed the point of the illustration. I don't want any of us today to miss the point. It all comes down to this. Jesus Christ is alive. And because he lives, not only can we face tomorrow, we can face eternity knowing that when we die, we can spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Look at the account with me in Matthew chapter number 28. As we read in verse number 1, we'll read through to verse 15. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, They goeth forth before you, or he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. 
Now when they were going, behold, some of them, uh, some of the watch came into the city and they showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and they had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, Say this, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and we will secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this very day. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God. The one event in history that split time is so vastly important to the Christian faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no redemption. The resurrection is the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. Dr. D. James Kennedy once said, and I quote, The evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been examined more carefully than the evidence for any other fact in history. The resurrection means not only that Jesus is alive, but it also means that Jesus saves. In the early church, believers greeted one another on Easter by saying, Christ is risen, to which the others would respond, He is risen indeed. Let's go back at this time to a first century church, and let's try this today. If I say, Christ is risen, you reply with? And He indeed is. Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood into every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of the gospel. Why? Because it's Jesus who saves. Without the reality of the resurrection, Christianity would be just another fish in the sea of religion. However, the reality of the resurrection is clearly seen as separating Christianity from all other human philosophies and other religious speculations. Why? Because the tomb is empty. This Easter morning, I want us to remember the resurrection. And there are three things in particular I want us to remember about the resurrection. Number one, the first thing I want us to remember is I want us to remember and never forget that there are testimonies to contemplate concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts that we find in the Scripture, three of which are recorded in this passage of Scripture. I call your attention to these three this morning. Number one, the first one I want you to notice is I want you to notice the angel. The angel gave testimony for us to contemplate this morning. In verse number 2 of this passage of Scripture, the Bible says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you have come to seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Oh, it is not uh, for nothing that we have in this text a recorded testimony from an angel of the Lord that gives us insight into where Jesus Christ is and where he is not. 
As a matter of fact, when we look at this angel's testimony, there are three things that must, uh, we must notice in the form of our attention. Number one is the notification. Did you see what the angel said? The angel said, he is not here. In the Greek, it carries the meaning of his body not being in this place. It was only a few days ago that Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus Christ off of the cross himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses the term body there in that text where jo Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus down. And the word body literally is where we get our English word corpse. He took the dead body, the corpse of Jesus, and laid him in this tomb. Of which we'll notice here in just a few moments that the guards sealed up he was dead. He was behind that stone. He was in that tomb. But upon Resurrection Sunday, there was a notification that came from the angel. And that notification was simply this. He is not here. He's not here. His body's not here. You can come and look. As a matter of fact, he goes from a notification to a declaration. Look at what he says in, verse, uh, in the verse. He says in verse 2 through 6, He is risen. Not only is the notification is that he's not here, but he gives them a declaration that he's risen. The Greek term here means to recall one that was dead to life. This time and season was no stranger to resurrection in the form of Lazarus there in the uh, Gospel of Luke as we find that Jesus called forth Lazarus as he was in the grave four days. But this resurrection was different. This resurrection was not of one being called forth, but Jesus, the living Son of God, the Messiah, the true one, the only begotten Son, the one by which is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will get to heaven unless they come come through Jesus Christ, he personally, individually, by himself, got up out of the grave. He is alive. He is risen today. Today you can go all around the world and you can visit every the, one of those religious leaders that testified to the fact that they possess the keys to eternal life. The only problem with, with that is just simply this. Every one of them are still dead. Buddha, dead. We find Krishna dead, Mussolini dead, we see Muhammad dead, all dead, 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 dead. But Jesus is not dead any longer, he's alive. The declaration, he is risen. And then you see number three, an invitation. The invitation is quite simple. The scripture says, come and see. The Bible testifies to the fact that we should come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Here we find the testimony of the angel to those that were around to come and see. Come, see where the Lord lay. As a matter of fact, when he uses the term come, it's a verb here. He's saying, I want you to come over here. He's giving us the insight in this present tense imperative verb. He's specifically saying, you, you come and you look in here and you see for yourself. And then he uses the term see in the form of a, a term that gives perception to oneself. He's just simply saying, Tom, don't take my word for it. You come in in this place and you see for yourself even though I'm an angel even though I've descended out of heaven even though I've sat on this stone rolled this stone away don't take my word for it the angel says come in and see for yourself he is not here he's risen we find that Jesus was not in the place where he was supposed to be he was supposed to be dead in that tomb but he was not. 
I heard a story of a man and his wife who was constantly irritating him. He was uh, a rather uh, pleasant guy, but his wife was not so unpleasant. I know there's no one here, and especially no man here, that would testify to the fact that being their wife. But this man, nonetheless, had a horrible wife. She was griping and complaining and always in a, in a, in a desperate feat to try to help her. He suggested that they go to the Holy Land, hoping that this experience would change his wife's complaining state. She agreed. They got on a plane and they flew to Israel. They landed and toured all the sites, even the tomb of Jesus, and noticed that it was, in fact, empty. So excited they were over what uh, they had seen and what they had witnessed. It was time for them to go home. But tragedy struck as they were on their way, packing up to go home. The wife suddenly died. The man, in awestruck, went to the undertaker, and the undertaker said, Well, listen, here's what we can do for you, sir. We can send your wife's body back to the United States. It will cost you $5,000. Or she can be buried here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it for a moment. He said, I'll take my wife back to the United States. The undertaker looked and said, I want you to understand the decision that you're making. I said that for $5,000 we can put your wife on a plane and fly her back to the United States to be buried. Or I said she could be buried in the Holy Land, the place where Jesus was buried here in the Holy Land, in Israel. She can be buried here. He said, I understand completely. He said, I want to put her on a plane and bring her back. He said, why? He said, the, just financially speaking, you're so much better off if you bury her here. He said, sir... He said, a long time ago, a man died here. A man was buried here. And on the third day, a man rose from the grave here. I can't take that chance. The testimony of the angel is that Jesus is alive. But not only do I want you to see the testimony of the angel, I want you to see the testimony of the women. Did you see what the Bible said about the women? The Bible tells us here in the text in verse number 1 that here on this very first day of the week that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the sepulcher. They went to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene had a supreme devotion for Jesus uh, ever since he had cast those seven demons out of her. The other Mary that we're, that's mentioned here is the mother of James and Joseph. Also with them, but it's not mentioned in the book of Matthew, but in the other Gospels, is Jesus' aunt, Salome. Uh, she is the wife of Zebedee and the mother of James and John. We also know the, that uh, the one that was present there was Joanna, and the other women are not specifically mentioned. But these two Marys are specifically mentioned. These two Marys were there at Jesus' death and burial on Friday, and here they are on the first day of the week. They're coming to anoint his body. The testimony of these two women in particular give us two things that we must think about. Number one is their motivation. 
we think about their motivation. The Bible tells us here in the text that as the angel came and as the angel said, come and see where the Lord's body lay. He is not here. He is risen. The Bible tells them that they, the, the Bible says they departed quickly. You see it there in verse number 7? The Bible says, and so go quickly that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. And lo, I've told you. And then look at verse 8. And they departed quickly. I would underline that. Why? Because we see the motivation within them. What motivated them to run and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive? It was the fact that the angel testified to the very nature of his body being the Son of God, 100% man, 100% God, yet man enough to die, yet God enough to rise up from the dead. And the motivation, the Bible says, was that they departed quickly. The word quickly there means to run in such a way as if one had heard a thunderclap or had seen a lightning bolt strike down. Is that not what the Scripture tells us as the description of this angel? He was like lightning, and his raiment was as white as snow. Just last Thursday, I pulled into the church parking lot as the storms were moving out of the way. I found our men who were supposed to be in the parking lot, parking cars, all gathered under the, the, the portico here as uh, underneath. They're all huddled together laughing and talking while cars were pulling in. I got out of the car and said, hey guys, what in the world's going on? And about that time, a thunder clapped and uh, scared me to death. My heart jumped up in my throat and off I ran underneath where the safety of those men were. And I huddled together and said, it's good to see y'all. What motivated me to go from a stroll, a, a very calm stroll, hey guys, how y'all doing, what's going on, to a brisk run to get out from under the weather? What happened is what I heard and what I saw. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when you look and you see what was going on here, the motivation of these ladies was what they seen and also what they heard. The angel proclaimed that he was not there. Their eyes saw, in fact, that he was not there. And they ran, the Bible says, quickly and were motivated to tell the disciples about Jesus, And then we see not only the motivation, but you also see the proclamation. The Bible tells us there in the text that they wanted to bring his disciples word. What word did they want to bring to the disciples? Simply this, alive. While I was on vacation, I read a book about the Holocaust. And as I was reading the book, it was about a father and a son who had ended up uh, in concentration camps, in several concentration camps. And the son followed the father all through the concentration camps. And just about all the family had been murdered except for these two. Uh, they had a son that they shipped to the United States. They had a daughter that they had shipped over to the UK. But for the most part, the rest of the family, the wife and the other daughter, were executed and murdered. For five and a half years, they were gone, missing, think, thinking themselves to their family that they were dead. At the end of the book, I read that the son who was finally freed as the forces came and liberated those that were in the concentration camp, he finally made his way back to his hometown. And when he knocked on the door, there behind on the other side, was a dear lady that had prayed for them all these many years 
of their concentration in the concentration camp. She opened the door, and she could not say a word. She just began to weep, and the only words that came out of her mouth were this. Alive. 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 What was the word that these women were bringing to the disciples? He's alive. He's alive. Jesus Christ is alive. And that's the same word that we have today in our proclamation. We serve a risen Savior. He is not dead. He's alive. Can I ask you a question this morning? In relationship to the motivation and proclamation of these women, what would God have to do to motivate you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has Jesus not done everything already? Has he not taken your sins upon himself? Has he not died on Calvary's cross? Has his corpse not been laid in a body and on the third day risen again so that we might proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? We see the proclamation and the testimony of the women. But let me show you a third testimony very quickly as time slips away. There's a third testimony I want you to see. And that is the testimony of the guards. You have your Bibles? Watch this. The testimony of the guards, here is where the human hinge lies concerning the resurrection's truth. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. So I want you to get the picture here. While the women are running to tell the disciples, those men who were acting like they were dead saw everything that happened, those guards. The Bible says that the guards got up and they came into the city and they showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Now, I would underline that word all because it's a very important word. All means all. That's all all means every time. From the beginning to the end, these guards regurgitated, if you would, everything that happened that day. They told the truth how the angel came and sat upon the stone. They told the truth how the stone was rolled away. They told the truth how the body of Jesus was not in the tomb. They told the truth how that even there beside the body of Jesus was a folded napkin that was wrapped around his head. The chief priest knew all too well the significance of this folded rag. The Bible spoke many times of Jesus, and Jesus himself even said on the third day he would rise again. And this folded rag was an illustration, if you would, of the completion of his death, burial, and resurrection. As a matter of fact, history tells us that the only time you would find a folded rag was around the dinner table. And what would happen was after dinner, when the individual was done eating, they would take their rag, they would wipe their mouths, and they would fold up, if you would, their napkin, and they would lay the napkin there on the table, signifying that they were finished. They were communicating to the chief priest that that folded rag that Jesus had around his head that now lay at the head of the place where Jesus lie, Jesus is done. He's finished. 
And we find here in the text, the Bible tells us in verse number 12, And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers. We find here in this particular passage that everyone gathered around. They talked about what the soldiers just said. And they just simply came to this conclusion. The only way we're going to get out of this thing alive is we've got to bribe them. And so the Bible tells us in verse number 13, they told the soldiers to do this and to say this. They told them to say his disciples, verse 13, came by night and stole him away while we slept. Now I want you to remember what the Bible says. The Old Testament says, strike the sheep or strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's what the Old Testament said. It was a reference to Jesus dying on the cross. It says, when you kill Jesus, the, the sheep, the disciples will scatter. Why? Because they're fearful. That's exactly what happened. The disciples scattered at the death of Jesus. They're hiding. They're in hiding. They, they do not want to be found because they do not want to be the next to die. And so we find here that there's no possible way that the disciples would come and try to steal the body of Jesus for they feared their own deaths. But here we find in this particular passage of Scripture the chief priest and the elders are saying to these soldiers, tell them that the disciples came by night and stole the body of Jesus while you slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade the governor... And we will secure you. That word secure means to protect. They would put these individuals uh, into the uh, protection program, the identity protection program, and send them out somewhere else so they wouldn't be murdered and killed. The Bible goes on to tell us, tell us in verse 15 that they persuaded them in such a way and there was so much money there to be given to them that they took the money and did as they were, did you notice this word? Don't miss this word. Taught. We want you to do it exactly this way. We want you to say it exactly like this. And then the Bible goes on to say, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. I had an uh, individual that I knew that I had gone on the mission field with and uh, after we got back from Africa on this mission trip in particular, he was so moved by what he saw, he wanted to go to Israel and tell the Israelites and tell the Jews about Jesus. He loaded up his pockets full of tracks. He put them in his luggage. He got on an airplane, and he flew to Tel Aviv. He landed there, got off the airplane. He stepped off, and as soon as he stepped off, he reached in his pocket and pulled out a track. He said, Jesus Christ is the Messiah they immediately put handcuffs around him, locked him up, put him in a prison, and said, you're going back to the United States of America. All because he claimed Jesus was Messiah. The Bible tells us here in the text, to this day, it's commonly reported among the Jews. Jesus is not the Messiah. This is what they taught these guards brothers and sisters the testimony of these guards are it's very clear there are two things that we cannot get away from number one the confirmation in verse number 11 the Bible again says that he showed all these things that were done that is the fact to make them public when the Bible says they showed them all the things 
all the things they were talking about is, look, we're about to go public with this, and we're about to let everybody know who Jesus really is, because if we don't, we lose our life. But then you see not only the, con the confirmation, you see the persuasion in verses 12 through 15. They were simply bribed. And they were bribed to lie. Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, dear skeptics, those that are even contemplating whether or not this story is even true, I challenge you to look at the testimonies that exist in this text. The angel, the women, and the guards. The conclusion is Jesus is alive. Not only do you see the testimonies that need to be contemplated, I want you to remember a second thing this Easter. I want you to remember that there's a message to communicate. There is a message to communicate. The resurrection narrative carries three messages that must be communicated today. Message number one, there is a certain death. There is a certain death. It's very important that we clearly understand that Jesus Christ really died. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 62 of chapter 27. Just cast your eye up there for a moment. The Bible says, Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver, that's Jesus, said, While he was yet still alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, <clears throat> lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, He's risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Did you notice in this passage of Scripture three times the word sure, S-U-R-E, is mentioned? The word sure here is such a powerful word. It's used in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas are chained and made sure that they would not leave the prison. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ did not have a problem getting Paul and Silas out of the prison, he sure as the world did not have a problem getting himself out of the grave. We find in the text here that there was a sure, sure death. Jesus really died. He didn't swoon. That is, he didn't pass out. His body was not, uh, was not uh, the result of the theft of the disciples. And Jesus had no twin Jesus died. But there's a second message we've got to communicate. The second message is this. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Again, the Bible says in verse 5 and 6 that we are invited to come and see for ourselves. Number three, the third uh, message we must communicate is that the Savior is risen. Jesus is alive. There are message, there's a message to communicate, and that message is that Jesus really died. He was really buried, and he really rose again. The implication of this message is that Christ has the power over death. And the Godhead's redemptive work is finished. Jesus Christ is risen, and the message that we communicate is the message that Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation. 
It's a message that he is the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. It is a message that he always was, he always is, and he always will be. He's unmoved, he's unchanged, he's undefeated, and he's never undone. It's a message that he was buried, yet brings healing. It's a message that he was pierced, yet eases pain. He was persecuted, but brought freedom. He was dead, but he brings life. He is risen, and he brings power. It's a message that he reigns and brings peace. The world couldn't understand him. Armies couldn't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. And teachers can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. COVID can't crush him. And death couldn't hold him. He is love, he's life, he's longevity, he's Lord. He's goodness, he's kindness, he's gentleness, he's God. He's holy, he's righteous, he's mighty, he's powerful. He is all right, he, his words are eternal, his rules are unchanging, and his mind is on us. He's my redeemer, he's my savior, he's my God, he's my priest, he's my joy, he's my comfort, he's my Lord, and he rules my life, and he wants to save anybody that'll come to him. Brothers and sisters, there's a message we must communicate. Jesus is alive. But then there's a third thing I want you to notice very quickly as my time is up. Not only do I want you to see that there are testimonies to contemplate and there's a message to communicate, but I want you to see that there's a Christ to celebrate. There's a Christ to celebrate. Do you see what the Bible says in verse number 10? The Bible says, do not be afraid. If there's ever been a season of fear in the United States of America, it is this season that we're in right now. We are so fearful and have been fearful of COVID. Now that we find ourselves in a position where we have the shots coming out and the vaccinations being uh, distributed to as many that, that take them, we find that this uh, uh, ease has begun to come back on the United States. And thank God on this Easter Sunday morning we're able to congregate together and be together. Not as afraid as we used to be. That brings great comfort and hope into our lives. Because of the resurrection we can be free from sin and death and the chains that hold us down. Jesus saves and identifies with mankind. Everyone who comes to Christ leaves celebrating. Can I ask you a question today? Have you come to Jesus Christ? Does it cause you to celebrate? I remember the first time I received Jesus Christ, the one and only time when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. I can't tell you that I heard the hallelujah chorus, but I can tell you that there was a great burden lifted off of me. I knew that my sins had been forgiven, and I was rejoicing in the fact that I knew I was going to heaven when I die. While we were at the beach, we were staying on the sixth floor of this condo and we were sitting out on the balcony I was sitting out there one day and I noticed a child in front of her mom and dad and the child did not have a care in the world parents behind them trying to keep up with the kid anybody ever experienced that come back come back come back and man there that child I don't know what it saw or where it was headed but it was happy and on its way skipping and laughing and shouting and just all, all the while the parents were just trying to keep up as the kid was celebrating. And then I looked and then there was an adult skipping down the beach 
flaring their hands around, shuffling to the side. Shuff I don't know what they were listening to, but it made them want to move. <laughs> they were celebrating whatever was going on in their mind. Brothers and sisters, we have something greater to celebrate than the world. We have a risen Savior. And that risen Savior all through Scripture has been giving us uh, words of comfort and words of affirmation, words of hope, and showing us in the shadow of the Scriptures that Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is the Messiah, the Son of God. And He is God in the flesh in the New Testament, taking our sins upon Himself and dying on Calvary's cross that we might have eternal life. <clears throat> it doesn't take us long to look at the scriptures and see very clearly what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. In Genesis, it says that he's the bread of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he is the fire by night. In De Deuteronomy, he is Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. In Judges, he is the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In, in Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he is the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the, the time and the seasons. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, He's the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the cry of Israel. In Ezekiel, he is the call for, from sin. In Daniel, he is the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is the faithful forever. In Joel, he is the spirit's power. In Amos, he is the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is our Lord and Savior. In Jonah, he is that great missionary. In Micah, he is the promised peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and shield. In Habakkuk and Zephyr, he is pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, he is the power and love. In Galatians, he is the freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, He's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he is the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the Godhead Trinity. In Thessalonians, he is our coming king. In 1 Timothy, in 2 Timothy, in Titus, and in Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's our everlasting covenant. In James, he's the one that heals the sick. In, in Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in Revelation, he's the the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is coming again, and he is the one that will make all things new. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus has always been alive. We want to celebrate. We've got something to celebrate. Several years ago, a young man went to see his friend John. He pulled into John's driveway and never being at his house before. John had told him, said, just come on down. The house is 
got a long driveway. And as this man was driving to John's house, he passed John's barn. He was so overwhelmed by what he saw, he, he parked the car and, and he got out and he walked over to the barn. And there on the side of the barn were 20 targets. And each target at the bullseye was opened up with multiple shots. Somebody had taken target practice on the side of that barn and they hadn't missed the bullseye at all. He was astonished by this. He got in his car and he drove up to John's house and he knocked on the door and John came to the door and said, Hey man, it's so good to see you. He said, Brother, I got to ask you a question. I pulled in your driveway and when I came back past that barn, I, I saw them 20 targets. Somebody in this house is a crack shot. Who did that? He said, oh, that was me. He said, that was you? John said, yeah, that was me. I did it. He said, how in the world? Did, where did you learn this? I, what's going on? And John said, oh, it's nothing. He said, no, I, I want to know. How did you learn to be such a crack shot? He said, oh, well, it was easy. He said, I took my rifle and I went out there to the barn and I shot a hundred times. And I looked and saw where I shot and then I went out and I got my paint and I painted 20 targets around each and every shot. <laughs> a lot of us are like that when it comes to Christianity, especially Easter. We, we really think, we've got this in our minds, we really think that in order for God to accept me, I've got to clean myself up. And when I clean myself up, then God will accept me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear in Scripture that Jesus wants you to come to Him just like you are. Problems, challenges, hurts, heart, heartaches, warts and all. He wants you to come to Him. The Bible does not say get cleaned up first and then come to Jesus. The Bible says come to Jesus and let Him clean you up. So I want to ask you a question, dear friend. As we remember the resurrection this morning, thinking about the testimonies that were given, thinking about the message that was communicated, and knowing that for those of us that truly believe we have something to celebrate, I want to ask you this today as I close up my Bible. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend an eternity? There may be someone here today and say, you know what, preacher, this is the problem I've got with you guys. You always ask this question, and I just really don't think you, sh you can know. I don't think you can know where you're going to spend an eternity. All I can do is submit to you what the Word of God says. That's all I can do for you. You're so stubborn and your mind's so made up that you'll even reject the Word of God. You'll die in your sins and you'll end up in hell. For those of you that are curious and have an inkling about, I want to know what the Bible says about eternal life. 
then I call your attention to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. There in that passage of Scripture, John writes very plainly, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. See, all I can tell you is what the Bible says. And what the Bible says, according to that passage of Scripture, is if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, then you can K-N-O-W, that know, you can have a surety and know that you have eternal life. You know where you're going to spend an eternity. Here's what's fascinating. In the Old Testament, the wisest man in the Bible outside of Jesus, a man named Solomon. Solomon said that there is a God-shaped sized vacuum in your heart. Bible, this is how he puts it. God has put eternity in your heart. That's what he said. The only thing that will fill that eternity is Jesus Christ. And if you'll read... Uh, that wonderful book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, you'll see at the end of Solomon's life, when he tried everything, when he tried liquor, ladies, lasciviousness, when he tried it all to bring him happiness, he comes to the end and he says this, this is what I've learned in my life's journey. I've got to get back to the God of my youth. Solomon, the wisest man on the planet, simply said this, in order for me to have peace in my life, I've got to get back to my vacation Bible school teachings. And that vacation Bible school teaching simply taught me this, that God had a son. His name was Jesus. Jesus went to Calvary. He went to the cross and took my sins and put him on himself. He died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again that I might have eternal life. The wisest man in the Bible said, I have to look forward through the portals of time and to see the Messiah is coming one day and I put my trust in him. Now let me ask you this. Why have you not put your trust in Jesus yet? The evidence is clear. The Bible gives us evidence that Jesus Christ really is alive. History gives us evidence that Jesus is alive. Your heart is giving evidence that Jesus is alive. Don't push it aside. Receive Jesus as your Savior. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to Him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia. 
888-447-30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.